You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, it's here. School's out. Summer is in session. Strixhaven is done. Can you believe it? I can. Yeah, yeah. School is out and Strixhaven is out all at the same time, as uh, as flavorful as that may be. (laughs) (laughs) Ben, the more important thing is we're recording... On a Thursday morning. Why is that? I'm all out of sorts. We are recording on a Thursday morning, but it is for a great reason. I am hashtag road tripping to Pittsburgh this weekend. Yeah, very, very excited. Going to have a a full paper magic draft day at my house this weekend. Got a couple streamers descending upon Pittsburgh, you and Garbage Andy and our dear friend, Dr. Stupid, aka Josh. Um, And we're going to be joined by Jamie and her husband, John. It's going to be great. It's going to be a super fun weekend. I'm very, very much looking forward to hosting you. Yeah, I'm looking forward forward to uh, crushing you some drafts. Okay. All right. Well, just relax. It'll be fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Smack talk already starting. Uh, how are you feeling? You all set up in your new place? I am. I'm all set up situated. I haven't streamed because I've just kind of wanted to give myself a week to get settled. And like, I've never really since I ever started streaming, I don't think I've ever just like said, I'm not going to stream for a week. And I just wanted to try it and see what it felt like. So planning to be back and streaming after the old Pittsburgh trip. Are you telling me that you don't find Twitch chat to settle you? You don't find streaming (laughs) settling? That's so weird to hear. I do sometimes, actually. I don't really have the antagonistic (laughs) relationship with Twitch chat that you do. Mm, interesting. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's probably something I should look into. All right. Well, Ben, as you alluded to, Strixhaven is done, and we are going to be doing our patented 50 takes in 50 minutes episode. You know, I was just reminded with Dominaria reappearing on Arena for the past week that that was where the 50 takes episode idea spawned. That was our 50th episode. Dominaria was the first iteration of that. Yeah. And I remember when you pitched it, you were so uncertain about the thing you were like, I just heard this thing on NPR, I think like where they yeah. made this thing. And I think it could be really cool for the show. But I don't really know. What do you think about it? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. And here we are, whatever, three years later, still still turning these puppies out. They're fun episodes. I think they're a really cool way to summarize the format. And then also really nice, like the first thing when a, a flashback format comes to arena, the first thing I send people to is well, the first thing you should listen to is the 50 takes episode. Right. That I really think is the reason that these are still going and are as important as they are. So those formats keep rotating back in. And it's such a great way in an hour to get a refresher and get ready to sit down for your first draft or whatever. You know, like if you've got a commute, you're driving home from work, boom, pop that baby on and then you're all jazzed to draft. Yeah, for sure. So uh, before we dive into our 50 takes, we have a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. The show, of course, will always be free. Uh, but we have a lot of uh, great perks over at the Patreon page, access to the Discord for any and all patrons. The Discord is your one-stop shop, 24-7 limited tech support place. Uh, really, really great community. We say it each and every week. We're very proud of 
the folks in there and how that the discord runs just sort of on its own without us even having to do very much shout out to all of our mods over there for sure they really help keep the discord in line and flowing um, a lot of other great stuff access to the show notes in anticipation of the show access to all of our draft logs and deck picks via 17lands.com access to a private section of the discord and access to monthly coaching sessions with me or ben um, so all that stuff is over at the patreon page if that sounds like something you're interested in and of course each and every week we welcome our new patrons to the fold and this week we are welcoming andrew and cody thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah cannot say thank you enough show is also brought to you in part by channel fireball channelfireball.com best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related it's that time strixhaven's done adventures in forgotten realms is coming out and you can pre-order your adventures in the forgotten realms booster crate so if you're not familiar what that is um, there's three different types. There's draft set collectors based on the type of box you want. So this is basically just a way to treat yourself or, you know, a friend that plays MTG to a box plus some extra swag. So you get some other things like promo path to exiles, lightning bolts, playmats from GPs, a deck box. Um, so a lot of cool things. Um, so just a little bit of ex- an extra treat in addition to buying yourself some magic cards. So if you're getting that over there, maybe you're signing up for CFB Pro. We're all still pumping out limited content. You know, great time to sign up for CFB Pro with a new set around the corner. Um, and the patreon as well you know we always shout that out as new sets are coming out please use code lol at checkout when you check out at channel fireball to let them know that we sent you over there and we would really appreciate it yeah and lastly here we announced this last week but we are now partnered with t public pumping out some lords of limited merchandise Uh, we've just got stuff with the classic lol logo on it for now Uh, i know they just had a sale yesterday that uh, i took advantage of they had a site-wide sale um so i grabbed myself a nice like lightweight hoodie and a little lol coffee mug folks who watch my stream know that i always use this like crossword puzzle coffee mug but i think that's probably gonna get retired once my lol mug arrives so i'm excited about that what'd you uh what'd you grab over there i grabbed several things a sweatshirt for myself uh, a sweatshirt as a gift for someone some t-shirts as gifts and my favorite purchase i got a pretty sweet looking baseball like three-quarter length t-shirt i really liked how those turned out yeah those uh those look pretty sweet so if you're interested in that you can go to our website lordsoflimited.com we have a merch tag at the top of the page there that'll take you directly to our page at t public i'm sure you can also google it um, we'll have a link to it in the show notes as well where you download the show um, so really excited about that and uh hope you enjoy it all right let's get to it time for those 50 takes in 50 minutes baby all right i'm gonna get 50 minutes on the clock here ben you ready i am ready all right three Two, one, take us home with number one here. Number one, learn and lesson were the most important parts of Strixhaven Draft, and it was not close. Now, I'm going to ask you this, Ben. I'm going to put you on the spot. Is learn lesson the best limited mechanic of all time? It might be power level wise. It's super powerful, but it was not gameplay wise. Strixhaven really kind of got old for me, you know, after we figured it out because the games played out so similarly every time, you know, your opponent played Guiding Voice. Oh, yep. They got Expanded Anatomy. Oh, yep. You have to play around Expanded Anatomy for the next three turns. Like it was just uh, the play patterns really felt similar after a while. I wonder if that would have been different in a non-guild set, which will be a point we get to a little later. Did you know this? Now, this could be not true, but someone told me that Learn Less was originally supposed to be in Kaladesh and it was going to be like invent invention or something. Ooh, that's spicy. Yeah. So I wonder how it would have felt in a non guild set, like in a set that had access to all 10 color pairs. But yeah, I I think learn lesson was super important, as you say here, not close. And honestly, like I found it really fun in terms of, you know, how to figure out how to draft it and play it. It presented interesting puzzles, but I do agree. Some play patterns ended up being repetitive. Well, I think some of the learn lesson thing also made it 
almost even a more restrictive guild set because you really wanted the white and blue learn lesson cards to set yourself up to be in the better guilds. So I don't know, everything just sort of got distilled down to this formula for me, you know, about four or five weeks into the format. All right, number two, the official Lords of Limited College Power Rankings. Number one, Silver Quill. Number two, Quandrix. Number three, Prismari. Number four, Lorehold. And number five, Want Want Witherbloom. I think this might be the first time we have not ever wheeled and dealed about power rankings at the start of the format or at now, the start of the episode, rather. <laughs> now, do you think that is because of how done we are with the format or do you think that's because we both sort of came to the same conclusions? I think we agree, which is good. Yeah, I, I do, too. I think, you know, I, we could we could argue about Lorehold versus Witherbloom, but th- it's sort of like a pretty big gap between those top three and those second two and honestly maybe even those it's like top two then a gap to prismari then a gap to the other two yeah i i would say significant gap between lorehold and witherbloom for myself but maybe witherbloom just never clicked for me yeah i mean they're 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 both guilds that are colleges that i'm hoping not to draft you can see i'm we're already done with strixhaven and i've just immediately left colleges and the dust and i'm back to guilds baby <laughs> number three speaking of colleges demir was the secret sixth college that's kind of spicy for demir too right they're all secretive yeah. and and spy people Ooh, um, yeah. it was probably better than witherbloom and maybe even some of the others yeah i think demir probably because of the element of you know drafting demir in a set where that's perhaps not supported makes you feel smart, you know, like discovering that deck or finding that deck in your draft seat makes you feel smart. So maybe I was more excited about it than other colleges because of that aspect. But I found the deck to be really good. And it was so consistent because it, you could really build it largely with commons. Right. Well, and it was lesson learned. So when you got your learn card, you knew which lesson you were getting. And so the games played out consistently as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, And so, you know, Demir was sort of based around Serpentine Curve, but you could do it without it. But if you built it with the Serpentine Curve core in mind, like building it like you were going to do that, like it was going to be very spell heavy, then I still think you got a good version of it, even if the curves didn't make their way to you. For sure. Number four, three of the best five uncommons are all learn cards. Igneous Inspiration, the deal three for three in red, divide by zero, the bounce spell in blue, and Professor of Symbology, the two one in white. Those cards are all just houses. I feel like especially, I don't know, I want to say especially Professor, but then I go, but also especially Igneous Inspiration. But I do feel like a turn two Professor of Symbology was one of the biggest groans for me in the format. Yeah, for sure. I went through that exact same process as you. <laughs> like the one I was most irritated when my opponents played it on turn two was Professor. And then I also then I was like, no, Igneous Inspiration has to be better. And I think the other two cards that we've not mentioned are Killian and Rutha, and they are huge powerhouses. Yeah, for sure. I, I love this next point. This was one that you really figured out like about a month ago. Number five, blue and white are the best colors in the format because they give you the most flexibility between two good colleges that want to have a similar game plan. Right. So white based aggro in either Silver Quill or Lorehold. And honestly, blue can flex to three decks if you count Demir, but flexing between Quandrix and Prismari. And I think you'd rather end up in Quandrix or maybe honestly Demir uh, than Prismari because Prismari was such a sort of niche deck or, or narrow game plan. It, it sort of vacillated between these two, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, But yeah, blue and white, shout out to those two colors. Right. And I think that really solidified for me once I realized that Lorehold wanted to look like Silver Quill. You know, once you once you identify that, then it's not a big leap to say, well, I really want to get into white or I really want to get into blue. And on the flip side of those things, getting deep into green or black is kind of dangerous because it 
generally doesn't leave you a lot of wiggle room because if you're heavy black, you'd really want to be silver quill. If you're heavy green, you really want to be quandrix. But the good cards for those decks aren't in those colors. And that just starts to shove you down a dangerous wither bloom path. Well, and it sort of shows you, I think, in our opinion, like the best versions of those other decks, right? If you're getting into wither bloom, right? If you're getting pushed off of quandrix in green or getting pushed off of silver quill in black, you want to build Witherbloom as an imitation of one of those decks, either an aggressive style deck a la Silverquill or a sort of tempo style deck a la Quandrix, like taking advantage of Quandrix Pledge Mage and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Number six, short and sweet. Combat Professor is a house. Holy cow. This card rekindled my love of vigilance in limited. Pre-podcast, <laughs> it used to be my favorite keyword when I would just draft or whatever, you know, before we were doing everything we're doing now, streaming, all that sort of stuff. And Combat Professor brought it back, baby. Vigilance is so good in Limited. Well, especially tacked onto that ability, it made racing nearly impossible. The card was just like good on its own, but often felt like even the turn it came down, it enabled attacks. Like I've never seen a Combat Professor on the battlefield and thought, that's okay, I can leave that alone. You know, it's a must answer threat. For sure. Number seven, the Golden Egg Award goes to Environmental Sciences. This card, man, I'm I'm a little embarrassed as, you know, a skittering surveyor, truther, as a, a golden egg lover that the first week I was like, I'm not really into this card. And you were like, just give it a few days. I think you're going to change your tune. And it, it really only took a couple days. And I was like, oh, I get it. Like it being a two mana lesson that you can grab, it being a land effectively that you can grab a- out of your lesson board, especially in conjunction with th- those cheap learn cards. It's so good. Like being able to splash has never felt easier. Just like, oh, I have six learn cards and an environmental sciences. That's you know, eight sources counting the basic that I'm running of my splash card or seven sources of my my splash card, you know, that's pretty insane. Yeah, cards great. I think it went down for me a little bit over the course of the format as the decks got a little more streamlined, though. I think right now I would first pick both Combat Professor and Barian books over environmental sciences and maybe expanded anatomy. Wow, you're, that's crazy. Sorry, that's like, crazy, you're never going to run into that because they're not going to be in the same pack. But that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, clear Golden Egg Award to Environmental Sciences. Number eight, Prismari could be built as both aggro and control. But folks, the aggro version of the deck was much, much better. Tempo, aggro, Prismari was where it was at. And I think, you know, looking at the spoiler really threw us for a loop. You know, you're, you're being given these cards and you sort of even pegged this a little bit when we were doing our archetype skeletons of, well, even the stuff that, you know, gives you discount on these expensive spells like Spectacle Mage or Maelstrom Muse, those are still aggressive cards like 2-2 two, two Flyer for 3, 2-4 two, Flyer for 4. Like these are cards that want to beat down still. And so maybe this top end big spell thing isn't quite the deal. And I just don't think it was. I think a lot of those cards, those big 7 and 8 mana splashy cards fell a little flat yeah we got juked on prismari and we got juked on lorehold and witherbloom right we were we thought witherbloom was going to be the best college going in yeah we really did wizards got us good yeah wizards got us good that's their whole plan is just to the old hook and cut with uh, set reviews <laughs> number nine barian books was the best blue common and was sometimes better than a hard removal spell i mean it, it it's not a hard removal spell in the sense that the thing dies but it is one for one and I'll, sometimes like let's say it was a, a three drop or something that you were resetting that you needed to like a, a quandrix pledge mage okay so something that's growing and then you bury in books that thing. And now they're like, oh, no, now I'm drawing my three drop on turn seven. And it's a three drop that 
needs a little bit of something, something to get going. Like that felt so brutal. Right. Those were the times that it was better than actual removal, right? Because you, yeah. you essentially killed the thing because it was irrelevant in the course of the game and you blanked a draw step from them. This was another big adjustment for us, right? Going in, I remember it even took us probably like a week, week and a half before we were like, okay, we get it. I get burying books. Like it took me basically three days of every time I was like attacking into two and a blue mana, just like feeling terrible about getting buried in books. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I think that means that this card is pretty nuts. <laughs> yep. Number 10, Lorehold was marketed as a grindy control deck that used synergy with Quintorius in the graveyard, but it just could not compete with the blue decks. I felt so bad. I think early on I had a really quote unquote good version of this deck. Um, but that was just before I think anyone knew anything about the format. And so I was still like, oh, yeah, Quintorius is a house. It's just as good as we thought. And then I changed my tune on that real quick. It just you just couldn't compete with card draw and burying books that blue had. Yeah. If you draft red, white, just draft Boros. Yeah, just draft, draft it like it's silver quill, draft base white. But that's the other thing that's so tough is like red doesn't have aggressive cards. Like it's like here's heated debate, but like illustrious historian and blood age general are not good two drops right enthusiastic study is good if you get the two twos that are two drops but those are like premium white cards yeah that's also an awkward tension with enthusiastic study right like just that there aren't two toughness and three toughness red aggressive threats yeah no very very awkward i think number 11 serpentine curve was either great in your deck or not so good at all and the community never really came to a consensus on when to pick it yeah my feeling was that once the Demir sauce got doled out to everybody that Serpentine Curve went way too high in everybody's pick order. And people were taking it in decks where it really wasn't supported or didn't belong and were just sort of happy with, you know, you you wanted it to be in a deck where, you know, you're happy with it as a fail case of like a 4-4 on whatever, turn 5, like an elemental summoning. But where you really could get to the point where maybe you're copying it with a teach by example on turn 6 and now you're getting like two five fives or something or, you know, late in the game, you're able to double spell and you're making an 8 8 9 9 10 10 type deal. Like you wanted it to have that super high ceiling in your deck. Yes, your deck should be built around it with it as your finisher. And it was hard to do that and pick it highly. It was weird. I just didn't get to play with it much because I didn't value it the way the rest of everyone else did. So I really wanted that deck to be open. Like the ideally, you're supposed to be wheeling the serpentine curves, right? Because other people can't use them, but that just didn't happen. Right. I think like a lot of people in Quandrix decks or in Prismari decks were taking them and, and they can slot in those decks as well. But I do think honestly, it's best home was that Demir deck. For sure. Number 12, Witherbloom suffered from too many synergies pulling in too many different directions. And I remember us identifying this at the start of spoiler season or, or during the crash course or whatever, or during our archetype skeletons and being like, do we think there's different flavors or that all of these things overlap? And Dina sort of made it seem like, well, it, maybe it overlaps, right? There's this grindy, sacrifice-y, but also life-gainy, incremental damage, thing happening but maybe that also supports an aggressive strategy and it was just like you gotta pick a lane when you're building witherbloom decks yeah it was tough and I, th I think that's why we were so excited about it because we saw all the sweet stuff that it could do and it very much was that like it was a combo archetype and we picked out all that stuff sifting through the spoiler but turns out the combos just were one kind of fragile and like needed to be drawn in the right order which wasn't great and two just weren't as powerful 
as the decks that were just playing good cards, which was just a recipe for disaster, I think, for the the college. Yeah. Number 13. Speaking of, turn two Biograph was not a thing in the format. That's the 1G54. Um, and you could either sacrifice a creature as part of paying its cost or pay three more mana to cast it. So, I mean, we saw this from the outset. We were like, all right, this is it. This is like the little synergy piece of you either play Eye Twitch or Unwilling Ingredient on one and then turn to Biograph. I'm not sure I ever saw a turn to Biograph in the lifetime of this format. But even if I did, you know what card just absolutely savages that is Burying Books. Yes, for sure. And... I did this, you know, I was like hot on this deck. I, I remember doing this in my first couple drafts and I did my biograph on turn two and then my opponent just had a double block like two <laughs> turns later and I was just like, oh, this just really isn't doing it. The <laughs> <laughs> shame. Rip the little doggo. Number 14, expanded anatomy was as important to the white decks as environmental sciences was to the blue decks. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked a lot about learn lesson as you know do you want redundancy versus toolbox and the white decks just wanted as many anatomies and inkling summonings as they could get their hands on for sure number 15 even the learn cards that looked bad were good shout out to cram session yeah another one that took me too long i think to come around on i was still like this is just revitalize and sheep's clothing this card's not good and you're like no cram session's really good and yeah you're right it's so good i think largely because of environmental sciences, like the two mana learn spells, I think were really important just to be able to go like, oh, I can always just, if I you know have a sketchy hand or have a two lander, it's so nice to be able to keep it when I've got my two mana learn spell because I know I can always go get another land with sciences if I need to. I just don't know if first day of class ever quite got there. Yeah, I kind of am on that same wavelength as well. Like theoretically, I think its best home was Lorehold. But if you were Lorehold, ideally, you should just have a lot of other learn spells you'd rather play. You know, you should have your guided voices. You should have your study breaks. You should have your enthusiastic studies. And all three of those, I think, are just better than first day of class. Like, yeah, you can do the thing where you can make a hasty spirit summoning or you can make a hasty elemental summoning. But I just don't think that quite is good enough. Yeah, it's just not quite worth a card. I'm not saying that like gain for life or tap two things are worth a card, but they have an effect on the game other than, you know, teaming it with a summoning or whatever, like a plus and plus one counter and haste is like, that's cute or whatever, but it's not actually worth a card. Right. Well, those other ones ended up playing out like adventures, right? And then first day of yes. class was just like you you spent two draft picks to make like a slightly overcosted haste creature. Number 16, the official Lords of Limited summoning power rankings. Number one, Inkling. Number two, Fractal. <laughs> number three, Elemental. Number four, Spirit. And number five, Want Wah, Pest, Witherbloom and Last Again. Yeah, it's just the order of the colleges, this is, oh, right? Yeah I, yeah, I was just noticing that. I was like, is this the exact order of the colleges? Yes, it is. Yeah, I, and I think that's true. And I think that's partially why that is, because they were such a big part of the format. And the summonings being good is a huge part of why the top colleges were the top colleges. Yeah, for sure. Number 17, Demigoth Woe Eater was a combo card rather than a threat. So I think it's like best play pattern was just as a fog that you then just immediately sacrificed the next turn for a little life a card for you discard a card for your opponent right like as soon as my opponent started sacrificing creatures to this i was like oh no you're doing it wrong this can't be right yeah well i think the best thing you can do is 10 the pests you know wombo combo where you sack it and make seven one ones and you know your opponent has to discard you draw that sort of thing that was definitely the best thing you could do 
Yeah, that was nuts. And then a slightly less nuts version was either with like Village Rites or Plum the Forbidden. So you're still getting the sacrifice trigger on the Woe Eater, plus a little value off of those uh, draw spells. Yeah, but again, I can distinctly remember, you know, having the Demogoth Woe Eater, having some creatures to sack to it, having my pest summonings. And again, like it just felt terrible the first time I did it. And that didn't really change. Yeah, well, I just don't think that's what the deck was all about. Number 18, Magecraft was less important than Learn Lesson, but still a huge part of the format. And I think they were sort of intertwined, or at least, you know, Learn Lesson being so good then made Magecraft that much better because you had this consistent way to double trigger it. Yeah, Magecraft was sweet. And I think, you know, a lot of those two drop, three drop creatures that got, you know, permanent bonuses or even temporary bonuses that were good. I mean, really did work. Yeah, for sure. I think that was another thing you really pegged out of the crash course. You know, you had a lot of those pledge mages as your top commons from from each of the colleges. And I was not there at all. But a lot of those cards have really not only because of their hybrid mana cost, like that makes them good draft picks, but just that the power level of those cards at common and the synergies that those provided, especially I'm thinking of like Silver Quill and Quandrix, but even like Prismari Pledge Mage as a really important two drop, one of the, you know, spoiler, one of the Holy Trinity cards for Prismari. Mari. Um, so I, I do think those pledge mages really rose in my estimation as the format went on. Speaking of number 19, Witherbloom pledge mage was huge. Yeah, huge with a capital Y. My goodness. Yeah, this card. So this just felt like the stabilization captain of the format, right? Like not <laughs> only is it just such a house in terms of it being a five mana five five and really tough to deal with outside of some, you know, just straight up removal spells, right? Getting out of range of heated debate is important. But also then the Magecraft trigger of gain a life every turn meant that if you were behind or if this was helping you stabilize, this could also then help you claw your way back to like a respectable life total if it had fallen into some sort of precarious position. Yep. Number 20, the magic number in the format, we just kind of changed this, Ben, was six, I think. Yeah, I initially had four because Heated Debate did four, and then that could kill the four, four elementals, and Witherbloom Pledge Mage as a five, five could block those four, fours, but... You know, we've got another card in mind. Yeah, and that's, I mean, a, a couple. Leyline Invocation, Serpentine Curve, and Fractal Summoning. Like, anything that could make a 6-6 six, six or greater Fractal, I think that was, as you have here, 6-6 six, six Fractals were the bully in, in Strixhaven. Yeah, they really were. And I think, you know, Pigment Storm doing 5 damage could pick off the Witherbloom Pledge Mage still. So that 6-6 six, six really was King of the Roost. You know, really stabilized the board. You couldn't attack into it. It was a, a big thing. And your deck needed a way to deal with that. Like, I just remember playing Prismari, not having Varian books, and then facing down a 6-6 six, six Fractal, and it just felt awful. Like, I just can't beat that card. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you what can beat that card is uh, the next point here. Number 21, Rise of Extus was one of the best <laughs> removal spells in the format. And this, again, was a card that we all had to change our evaluations of, or at least I did, that, you know, I saw you see a six mana sorcery speed removal spell and you just sort of write it off. I don't think we necessarily did that. I kind of remember having the conversation when we looked at this card initially, like, we think it's not good, but it is really powerful. I think we kind of left ourselves some wiggle room there. I kind of remember that conversation. So I just looked up what we graded it in the crash course. I gave it a C minus. Alex gave it a C minus. You gave it a C. And yeah, that's just like, is that like a full letter grade off of what it is? Yeah, it's probably a super solid B minus, maybe even a B. Yeah, it's I mean, I think in our whatever, in our general rankings of the format, we've got like sciences one, Barry and books, then heated debate, then the three summonings. And then I think it's rise next in, in line there. Yeah, and I think we did 
just in general miss on how good learn lesson was in our initial evaluations of cards. Yes. I mean, I think I I remember thinking this is good. And I remember thinking that's going to be an interesting thing. And where you take lessons, like lessons should be high picks probably because like it's like drafting lands or whatever. But I just didn't. It was even better than I had thought. Right. It just was so format defining. Number 22, Silver Quill was a super strong aggro deck that could also compete in the late game thanks to hmm, learn lesson, right? When, you're, when your aggro deck gets to use tempo plays like Study Break and Guiding Voice to draw cards, to draw things that affect the board like Inkling Summoning or Expanded Anatomy, that's really powerful. That's like why the aggro decks in Eldraine were so good too, right? You just had like these 28 spell decks. Yeah, Silver Quill was scary. If your opponent went plain swamp and played a two drop you just knew what you were in for and it was a very difficult game where your opponent was playing a lot of threats that you needed to be able to answer or race yeah absolutely number 23 silver cool was not about plus one plus one counters again we kind of got juked it just wanted to beat down yeah like you know this dream curve of okay are we gonna do star pupil into essence infusion right just coming off of playing modern horizons 2 where modular is so good so modular is the mechanic where you know a creature comes in it's an artifact it, it has power toughness zero zero but has some number of plus one plus one counters on it and then when it dies it can give those plus one plus one counters to another artifact creature well that's what star pupil looks like right it looks like modular and modular is so good in mh2 and it was it has been so good in its other iterations that i think we thought that was going to be a thing here like oh just star pupil and we're dumping counters elsewhere and you just you can't do that when Baryan Books exists. I know it just pooped on the parade. Baryan Books just kind of killed so many cool strategies in the format. Yeah. Number 24, Silver Quill Pledge Mage was one of the best aggressive three drops in Silver Quill or Lorehold. This sort of being better in Lorehold than Lorehold Pledge Mage was is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, the card's great, though, right? It just puts your opponent in such an impossible position. If you have, you know, lesson learned, which you probably do, it's a flying lifelinker. If they hold creatures back to try to block it, great, you give it flying and still crack in for three. If they try to race, you can only use one spell and give it lifelink. It's just a very versatile card. Yeah, shout out to Silver Quill Pledge Mage. And not much X1 hate in the format outside of Start From Scratch, right? Yeah. Number 25. I ended up with this one, but this should be your take. Go for it. <laughs> Prismari Pledge Mage, Prismari Apprentice, and Symmetry Sage were the holy trinity of Prismari aggro. And yeah, you know, it's very weird. But I do think Prismari was like one of my most successful strategies in the format. I ended up drafting it a bunch. And, you know, Prismari Apprentice, I think, is really the crux here. But the other two cards really hold their own as well. And I think the deck is just about setting up your early plays with these cheap creatures and then just maximizing them as much as you can with either Learn Lesson, continuing to trigger Magecraft to enable attacks or enable Unblockable or enable plus two plus O. And I think that's the best way to build Prismari in the format. Yeah. How about Frost Trickster? Speaking of, we don't have a take about that card, but we were hot on that card and it just never really quite got there, except I think in this Prismari deck. I was just talking about this yesterday. I had a coaching session and uh, the student just wanted to talk about like card evaluations in anticipation of um, Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. And we were talking about Frost Trickster because I said, you know, that I think was my take as the best common in the format. And boy, howdy, is it so far from that? Like it's fine in this tempo aggro deck, but it's not also that important. And I think it's interesting because we've seen iterations of this card before to varying degrees, right? Coming off of 
uh, Kaldheim, where Bergstrider was so good, or you think about Chillbringer and Ravnica Allegiance, that's so good, and that's the similar version. But like Frost Lynx, like non-flying version of this, has been great to bad, right? When we first saw it in its original core set, it was like the best blue common. But then when we saw it in Aquaria, it just didn't matter at all. And so like context matters, I think, a lot in terms of how these effects play out. And I'm going to be a little more like, all right, let me read between the lines the next time we see an effect like this in blue. Yeah, for sure. Number 26, Eager First Year looks kind of medium, but it is a premium white common and I think is the premium two drop aggro creature in the set at common, right? Yes, I think that is also true. This, this much like uh, Beskir Shieldmate in Call Time, took the journey from like total filler to like, give me as many copies of this as I can. And I'm picking it pretty aggressively to try to get into white aggro decks. Yep, I could not agree more. I went on quite a journey of like, Arrogant Poet is the card I want in Silver Quill to, oh, now it's Leech Fanatic. And now it's just firmly, firmly Eager First Year. Well, and I think the kicker is that Eager First Year is white and those other two cards are black, honestly. If you changed either one of those two cards to white, I think I'd be a lot more interested in them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Number 27, other than Demir, the other quote off-college decks did not really come together hardly ever. Yeah, I messed around with Rakdos a little bit late in the format, but it was so hard. (laughs) because i think rakdos wants to be a sacrifice deck right you've got like novice dissector at common as a sack outlet then you've got village rights and plum the forbidden but you really needed the steel effects in claim the firstborn and mascot interception and you just couldn't get them reliably because they were uncommons yeah and then like you know yeah, LSV famously did a Selesnia draft with Magecraft and Quandrix Pledge Mages. I think Azorius you could build with Clever Lumamancer and Symmetry Sage as like your one drop Magecraft aggro cards. You got some Twitter shout outs on that. On um, what? I feel like we got some decks tweeted at us that were Azorius things that were like, thanks, lol. And that was all you, baby. Yeah, that was my uh, my piece for the CFB newsletter. Um, and then I think Gruul was nothing. I mean, I, I maybe in theory, it's you know, aggro pledge mages, but red doesn't really add a lot to that. I think gruel really just doesn't get there. And the other three I can theory craft about, but you're just so not incentivized to do this in the format. Yep. Number 28, the mystical archive added a really cool layer of depth to the format. And I, I agree. It feels like folks are largely coming down to this being a fail in terms of its impact on historic, but I think it was a really cool addition for limited. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it for sure. I mean, Mizzix's Mastery was awesome, was the biggest bomb in the format. You know, Approach of the Second Sun was a cool build around. I don't think that one was nearly as powerful as everybody else thought it was necessarily. You could do Natural Order into going to get a Bookworm, which was super sweet. Yeah, shout out to Alex Nikolic for his Tendrils of Agony win. That is one of probably the greatest clips to come out of Strixhaven Limited. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, so there was like a really cool thing you could do. I agree with Approach. I mean, it's a powerful card, but has the problem that like a lot of white controlling cards often do in limited is like it's just so in antithesis to what white is trying to do. Like approach was a was best as a splash card in Prismari, basically. Or Quandrix. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Number 29, the official Lords of Limited College student power rankings. Number one, Killian Inc. Duelist. Valedictorian, baby. Number two, Rutha Mercurial Artist. Number three, Zimone, Quandrix Prodigy. Number four, Dina Soulsteeper. And number five, Quintorius Field Historian. Quintor. Every time I saw Quintorius go like 13th, 14th, 15th pick, I was like, good. People get it. Our work is done. <laughs> and this one's out of order of the colleges, right? Rutha yes. edges out Zimone. Yes, for sure. Oh, yeah, but that's the only real difference here, I guess. Well, Quintorius and Dina also flip-flopped. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Okay. 
So yeah, this is this is a little different. All right, number 30. In about half the cases, apprentices were the secret signpost on commons for their archetype. And I'm mainly thinking of Quandrix and Witherbloom, right? Quandrix Apprentice, definitely better than Zimone. And Witherbloom Apprentice, definitely better than Dina. Yeah, for sure. And I got to say, Ben, why did Lorehold get the worst student in Quintorius and the worst apprentice? Like, what is that about? It's the worst apprentice? What's... Oh, yeah. Right? Like... Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that was really bad. <laughs> ben just went on a journey here. <laughs> I was trying to like do it again for You're the just, podcast. You just couldn't even remember what <laughs> Lorehold Apprentice well, did. I, was, I thought you were talking about Pledge Mage and I was getting ready to argue with you. And then I was thinking, no, that's not Pledge Mage. That's the, that, that, was, that was the journey, if you were wondering. <laughs> no, I, I, I got you. <laughs> so what are we doing? Am I taking another react to that? No, no, that's great. That's all staying in. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> Number 31, the cycle of colorless common lessons were all very good to have access to despite looking kind of medium initially. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, well, a five mana kill a thing and then they draw a card. That's so bad, right? But it's like, well, but you only draw it when you want to. That was the beauty of learn lesson. That's how, why it was so powerful is like you only take this card, even if it, you're only going to want it 5% of the time, you get to have that 5% be reliable every time you want it. Yes, very good. Number 32, shout out to the Lords of Limited preview card. Bookworm is one of the best finishers for a ramp deck. It kind of got kept in check a little bit by cards like Rise of Extus and the aforementioned Intro to Annihilation, but I think still was just a huge threat. Yeah, I mean, and even if it got got by Rise, it, it still did draw you a card, gained you a little bit of life. They had to have the exact answer for it. I don't know. Bookworm was was really, really powerful. I mean, I think yes, really gave uh, gave your ravenous Linworm a little run for its money. For sure. But the play pattern of I'm going to grind you out by casting Bookworm four times after you kill it didn't really happen that often, I don't think. Correct. Number 33, the Lords of Limited official common learn power rankings. Number one, Rise of Extus. Number two, Hunt for Specimens. Number three, Study Break. Number four, Guiding Voice. Number five, Field Trip. Number six, Pop Quiz. Number seven, Cram Session. Number eight, Arcane Subtraction. Number nine, Enthusiastic Study. And no surprise, number 10, First Day of Class. First Day of Class is rough. And again, not really any contentious discussions before the podcast this morning. You know, I rattled off this list and you're like, I think I agree. I mean, I think you could make a case for swapping study break and guiding voice. I think those are pretty close in my mind, at least the first copy. But yeah, I think that's the list. Number 34, it's not uncommon to have a creature count of less than 10 in very good decks in the format. And I would just say like in general, people focus way too much on creature counts in limited decks. And in this format, especially creature counts are deceptive with you having summonings in the sideboard. So if you've got like a handful of summonings and like, you know, a handful of learn spells, then all of your learn spells are effectively creatures as well. Well, right. And just decks like Prismari and Demir were going to be low on creature counts anyway. Yeah. So I think don't don't uh, don't worry about that if you're coming back to the format and going, oh, no, I've got eight creatures at the end of this draft. It's probably more than you think. Number 35, two drops were in short supply for most of the decks. Cards like Scourge Colony, Reckless Amplomancer were just must haves and must plays for green decks. And maybe this is slanted a little bit by best of one. But honestly, I think they were good in best of three, too. Yeah, I don't know. I liked both of those two drops. I found this format to be maybe not a format of like, you really need two drops and there aren't good twos. Because I do think there 
are a lot of good twos in the format at common and uncommon. Um, but you just needed to make sure you had them. You needed to have them in your deck. Right. I think the difference between I saw a lot of decks that had two to three two drop creatures. And the difference between a deck like that and a deck that has five or six two drop creatures felt very large. And it felt like the decks with five or six two drops were much better because you were you just didn't want to fall behind because the aggro decks could so consistently snowball because of Lesson and Learn. I think that's what it was. Yeah, that's a really good point. Number 36, enthusiastic study could be great in an aggro deck, but you really needed threats with more than one, or honestly, if you could, two toughness. The, the one toughness creatures really didn't get there. Like illustrious historian into enthusiastic study still meant you were trading. You really wanted your study to help you win combat. Yes. And if it did, it felt awesome, but it was also stranded in my hand a lot. And I did mess around with that card quite a bit in the format. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, shout out to obviously a free flame painter. That was its best pairing. The one for double striker bomb. I lived that dream many times. <laughs> but also, I think Reflective Golem, we don't have a point about that card on this uh, list, but I really liked Reflective Golem in a lot of decks. And honestly, like in decks where you just had three learn spells and an expanded anatomy to go get, I was happy with. But then honestly, that played really well with Enthusiastic Study too. Number 37, Strixhaven Sealed was an interesting puzzle to solve, and Environmental Sciences might have been one of the most important cards to open along with your lessons lining up with your learn cards. I mean, that was sort of, I feel like Sealed has this chain reaction thing. I feel like this is something that I've been coming up with or thinking about a lot in the past few sets we've done Sealed for, but there does sort of seem to be a chain reaction of, you know, okay, let me look at my bombs. Do those line up with a color? Let me look at my fixing. Does that line up with a color or colors? In this set, it was learn lesson. In like Kaldheim, it was snow. Like there are things that it's like, if I can do this thing, then I'll do that. I'll go down that path. And if the answer is no, then I just need to build streamlined aggro because I can't compete with other people who are going to have good learn lesson. Yeah. And in some ways, it was almost a relief to not open environmental sciences because the number of things you can do was just exponentially less, right? The pools with environmental sciences were hard to build. Well, but it was, I think it did go, okay, I have sciences, so I'm incentivized to what are the colors that have the most learn for me to play, right? There was that and then that chain reaction. So you didn't have like tons of options. But if you did have good learn, then it was like, okay, what's how do I maximize this pool the best? Because I know there is like a best deck here. It's just going to be hard to find. Yeah, for sure. Number 38. In most scenarios, it was correct to not choose modes with Shadrix Silver Quill. Shout out to Stunlock FTW for pointing this out. Like, I think if you just think of this as a five mana, Two five double strike, you'd be better off. Yeah, I went on as per usual, my lack of knowing what mythic rares do. I initially thought you got to choose two modes for yourself <laughs> and, was very, <laughs> and was very disappointed the first time yes. I played it and did not get to choose two. And then when someone pointed out to me that I didn't have to choose a mode, I was like, oh, all right. I like this card a lot better now. <laughs> like basically you you would just really choose like, all right, if my opponent has no creatures, then I will choose to give them like plus one plus one counters on their creatures or whatever. Like when the modes were obvious, fine. But otherwise, boy, howdy, were you not supposed to choose modes for this? Number 39, Tenured Inkcaster is a secret Witherbloom card. I think I was too low on this card the whole format. Like every time I played the last, you know, three or four weeks of the format, my opponent would play a tenured ink caster and like swing in with a couple creatures with plus one plus one counters. And I just think, man, that card's kind of good. And I just never cast it hardly ever. 
Yeah, this card in conjunction with Blood Researcher is absolutely insane. If Researcher already has a counter on it, or like you're putting a counter on it um, to enable an attack, it has menace, so it maybe has good attacks, and now it's bigger or whatever. But then each instance of a creature attacking with a plus one plus one counter grows the Blood Researcher itself. So then like it is growing itself. It's just really, really good. Yep. Number 40. Raw card draw is overrated in a format with learn lesson. And you know, some cards I think are exceptions. Most of the Mystical Archive, like, you know, Blue Sun Zenith is very powerful. But like, honestly, even something like Compulsive Research was never really appealing to me because I was just like, all of my cards say draw a card. And more specifically, they say draw a spell of your choice, you know? And so I think the stuff that was just raw card draw wasn't really that appealing to me. I have an important question for you. Which is the worst insult to a magic card? Calling it overrated or calling it clunky? Ooh. I think clunky because overrated feels like it's what people think about it rather than its own like intrinsic qualities. And clunky is just like, you're clunky. There's no helping you. Like no matter what people <laughs> think about you, you're clunky. So I think, uh, I think clunky is more, more insulting. Yeah, clunky is my favorite insult for a magic card. But overrated, <laughs> I was just thinking when I saw overrated there about that. Number 41, explosive welcome and creative outburst. Can't kill a 6-6 six, six fractal. Again, this I, I'm as we're going through this list, I'm just realizing how many cards I was wrong about. I mean, I think I adjusted my evaluations pretty quick, but I'm remembering people telling me that Elemental Masterpiece was good week one. And even like Ryan Sachs, I remember in my chat being like, I think Elemental Masterpiece is better than Creative Outburst. And I was like, no way. That's crazy talk. That's absolutely true. Like Explosive Welcome and Outburst are not that good. They're like the fact if my seven mana, eight mana spell can't kill a six, six fractal. That's bad news. Very bad news. And Elemental Masterpiece is awesome board presence. And very splashable too. Yep. Number 42, Skurid Colony has reach. But honestly, everything has reach. I pulled up the, the list here. So we've got Skurid Colony, Pillar Drop Warden, Master Symmetrist, perhaps the most secret reach early on, Cogwork Archivist, the colorless six mana four five. I don't know. Yeah, Skurid Colony is a good one here. I think Master Symmetrist got me the most personally. I attacked into it once and that was all I needed. Yeah, the reason I have Scurried Colony on the list is like, you know how, you know, it's usually the two drop for your opponent. And then as the game progresses in arena, it gets like scooched over to the left. And then I would eventually <laughs> just forget about it and then attack into it with a flyer. And then, of course, that was the time where it was like late enough in the game where it was probably a 4-4 at this point anyway. So it was definitely eating my flyer. So yeah, I think bad. that I kind of remember Scurred Colony eating some of my Frost Tricksters <laughs> late in games. <laughs> yeah. Number 43, Cody Vociferous Codex is a phenomenal build around. Another card that I was like, no way is this going to get there. But it was it was actually pretty easy to build around. You you wanted it in the teamer colors, right? You need spells that make creatures. That's specifically the, the two summonings, Leyline Invocation and Serpentine Curve. And I guess Elemental Masterpiece as well. But when you had those in your deck, you could really pop off with Cody. Yeah. Cody was a scary card to play against. I only got to play with it once, but it was very fun. Number 44, the equipment, that's Team Pennant and Zephyr Boots, are cards you rarely include. A couple of cards that fell pretty hard from grace for us, I think. Yeah, speaking of cards we were wrong about. <laughs> yeah, and like Zephyr Boots was, was like whatever. And honestly, I still played sometimes as like, you know, 22nd, 23rd card. And, you know, a, a, if I pivoted late to a Silver Quill or Lorehold aggro deck, I was not embarrassed to include a Zephyr Boots in those decks if I needed playables. Team Pennant just never got there. Like the idea of, well, now you're, you know, big fractals have trampled. That just 
didn't come up that often. I felt like both of these were the definition of win more. Like you could just win without them. Yeah, that's fair. Number 45, there is a ton of fixing in this set. So you've got campuses, you've got archway commons, campus guide. Where'd you end up on campus guide? Fine. I don't know. Like it was a fine splash enabler. And oftentimes when I included it, that was like, I thought about it as replacing a land because, you know, that's what it did. It ensured a land drop, but it was not that good, I think. Yeah, I think that's where I ended up as well. Kind of like uh, you had to run it to splash is kind of where I ended up on it. Right. You end up with something like Velamachus lore hold and then you just don't get there on fixing. It's like, well, I'm still going to jam, you know, a mountain or two and a campus guide or two or whatever to be able to splash it. Yeah. There's also letter of acceptance. You get emergence sequence, cultivate, you know, environmental sciences is a colorless fixer. That's a ton of mana fixing, especially colorless mana fixing. Like, I don't think we've seen that much. Maybe, I mean, I can't say ever, but that feels like the most colorless fixing we've seen in a long time. Yeah, for sure. And even in spite of all that, you still just wanted to be a streamlined two-color deck. Yeah, th- those were the best decks. Like the best decks that won were the ones that were, as we saw in our past fail episode, the best decks were the ones that were consistent and redundant. And that didn't really end up with splashes that often. Yeah. Number 46, Test of Talents, Negate, and even Duress were all main deckable in this format. Test of Talents was nasty and also felt awesome when you were casting it. Just getting to look at your opponent's hand and deck was just huge. You know, you could craft your whole game plan around their hand and then knowing what you needed to save your removal for that could actually beat you. It just felt so warm and fuzzy landing a test of talents. Well, and even the shuffle was relevant sometimes. If you like did it as a follow up to Baryan books, well, now you're like shuffling away that thing or shuffling away a bookworm. Like the three modes of this card being relevant in many spots was really busted. Yeah. And just like seeing your opponent's hand and library, you just feel like kind of naked and exposed when that happens, you know? I never cast a dress all format, though. I don't know. You see, it seems like you missed out, Ben. You missed out on some spice. Probably. I was always unhappy getting dressed, but I never quite got there. I never had room for it. Moving on. Number 47. Remember, you can choose to rummage when you learn. And this is difficult to do on Arena if you're coming back. So you have to what? The interface comes up with two tabs and you have to click the little thing that says your hand and then you select the card to discard and then you get to rummage. But it took me probably, I don't know, three, four weeks into the format to really start using this mode of learn, which is an embarrassing amount of time. The little thing that says your hand, it's like a big orange glowing button that says it is your hand. Definitely not. It is definitely hang on. Please do not defend this <laughs> interface, sir. I'm just saying, like, you're like they they it's like they're trying to hide this mode of learn lesson from you. I I feel that way about it. Do you not feel that way about it? I do not feel that way about it. But I also think it's like very rarely correct to rummage. I disagree i would say you're doing it probably what 15 percent of the time 10 percent of the time 10 maybe yeah i just don't feel like i'm doing it often in the early game it's usually when i'm running out of lessons i would almost always rather grab a lesson than rummage I mean, unless i'm looking for something super super specific right well i think one of the times i did it most often was okay i have the cheap learn cards but i don't have an environmental sciences but Uh i need to hit land drops that that was the situation that i found myself doing it in most frequently yeah that makes sense but that feels so bad if it's anything other than like professor of symbology right or maybe even hunt for specimens but if you're like doing two mana gain for life rummage that is a yikes you've mulliganed basically 
Right. But you got to do what you got to do for sure. And just knowing that it is an option that you have, I think is important. And also, I just want to circle back to you defending the arena interface because (laughs) I don't think they were purposefully hiding it, but it was not good. (laughs) Number 48, Storm Kiln Artist was always a card I never picked in draft. But every time I saw it on the battlefield, it felt like a must kill threat. Did you have the same experience? I did. I cast it once early on, decided it was clunky and never cast it again. But that I always did find myself killing it because it only took me a few times seeing it like snowball out of control. Like I would go, okay, that card's garbage. I don't need to deal with it. And then my opponent would just pop off with it, like double, triple spelling with all the treasures. And it didn't take too many times seeing that before I was like, all right, this thing has to die. The problem was that it just was clunky, right? It does get the clunky word because it just dies to shock and it dies to lash of malice. And when those things happen, it's so hard to come back from that. That's true. Number 49, learn and lesson effectively turned best of three into two or three games of best of one against the same deck. Yeah, I just stopped playing best of three for this format. And I don't think I've ever done that. Like usually once I get to mythic, I switch back because I don't care about grinding in mythic. But it just felt so repetitive. Like if you're picking whatever six, seven, eight cards for your sideboard, when you get to sideboarding, you don't have a sideboard, right? You don't have anything that you are going to swap in. There were so rarely times where I would make swaps. So then it just felt like a bunch of the same matches, but of best of one. Yeah, that's a weird phenomenon. I, as is well documented at this point, I am a best of one lover. So (laughs) I have not really had that experience of going back to best of three, but I did appreciate that learn lesson made it sort of feel like I had a sideboard in best of one. Yeah, it definitely made the options of those games feel a lot like more vast. So that was really fun. I I really appreciated that. And the last take here, number 50, college or guild sets just can't compete in terms of format longevity. And I think you can feel this across like the entire sort of at least content creator community that Strixhaven felt like it overstayed its welcome. But even looking back at, you know, I was a big fan of Ravnica Allegiance and I enjoyed going back to that set. I think Guilds of Ravnica probably did not hold up even at the time. But guild sets, just when you're limiting the color pair options from 10 to 5, or, you know, sometimes off color colleges emerge or off guild colleges emerge, but from 10 to 5 or 6, it's pretty rough, I think, in terms of playing the set for a couple of months. Yes, definitely agree. I think Ravnica Allegiance navigated it the best. But honestly, another problem with Strixhaven, in addition to being a college or a guild set, was just that some of them were so much weaker than the others. It almost felt like there were only two or three colleges that you really wanted to draft. And then sometimes you got shoved into, you know, Lorehold and Witherbloom. So I think it could have been a lot different if the colleges had been a little bit better balanced in some ways. Well, the other thing that was weird, and maybe we just never experienced this, but I feel like I'm the kind of person who would experiment with it. A five color deck never really emerged for me. Despite all the fixing, that never felt like a deck that was viable. And I think that had to do with a lot of the rares and mythics being so pip heavy, right? You had like the cycle of the quad hybrid cards, and then you had the cycle of the like very color committing cards, like triple triple or double double or whatever. So it was really hard to like get a multicolor good stuff deck together when there were such extreme mana requirements for the bombs. I think almost the closest thing was the Demir deck that had, you know, multiple copies of environmental sciences. 
Yeah, and then you're like, you know, splashing a little bit of red, a little bit of white, whatever. But but what are the great cards you're splashing? I don't know. It felt like I was like psyched to splash Elemental Masterpiece, which is not a bomb at all. Right. Yeah. I, there just weren't powerful cards. There weren't powerful enough cards to compete with how streamlined and how good the aggressive decks were. Right. And how good those like gold cards were in their decks versus being splashed in a like multicolor soup deck. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's it. So we, we bid farewell to Strixhaven. School is out. We've graduated or whatever you know, <laughs> s- school analogies we want to make for this set. But I think that's going to do it for us. Yeah. School-based puns are over, everyone. You can, you can relax. Yeah. And now we get to look forward to nerd-based puns with the D&D set. I am actually really hyped, not personally for D&D myself. I am not a D&Der, but all three of my brothers started playing D&D and they tried to get me to do it and it just wasn't for me. But they all really like it, and they are all like tangentially uh, adjacent to magic. They don't play as much as I do, but they all play. And I think this set is really going to grab them, so I am looking forward to it. Nice. That'll be fun. Yeah. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL at checkout to let them know we sent you there. You can also check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. And don't forget to grab that sweet, sweet merch over at TeePublic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Just a little disclaimer. We usually release our episodes on Monday, but next week we're going to try and figure out when we can do the crash course for Adventures in Forgotten Realm. Um, Just trying to tie it together to when the full spoiler will, will drop. So if that's out on Monday, we'll do it Monday. If it's out on Tuesday, we'll do it Tuesday. Rest assured, we will get it to you as soon as we can. And we will catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Number four, Dina. I know that one. I know it's Soul Steeper. Do you want to do them? Let's do it. What's Zimone? Mean, Qu- and Zimone is Child Prodigy, right? A child Prodigy. I'm pretty sure. Quandrix Prodigy. Oh, dang it. That would have been embarrassing. <laughs>